Hello everyone, my name is Andrew Montlake, but you can call me Monty, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the third episode of Pathfinders. The Pathfinder podcast is about the journeys we take in business and in our life. It's about the fact that the destination is not the be-all and end-all. It's the paths we take along the way that is a real journey. It is this that defines us and makes us who we are today. I've always loved talking to people, so I'm setting out to meet real people who've inspired me, both within the mortgage, property and finance industry, as well as outside it, to hear their stories and learn from the paths they have taken, the successes and failures that have led them to become who they are today. We all have a story to tell, and perhaps their story will resonate with you and make you realise that you are never alone. We're all pathfinders finding our way in the world. Today's guest is someone I've known for a while now without actually knowing too much about their journey to where they are today. What I do know is that I've always enjoyed their company, finding them down to earth, intelligent and interesting, and someone who speaks a lot of sense. For a while now, they have spoken passionately about social mobility and being a non-exec director and board member of Progress Together, which aims to level the playing field for employees from all socio-economic backgrounds within the UK financial services sector. Richard Roundtree has worked his way up from a development programme at Halifax in 1991 through branch management, sales director, national director of Santander, MD of Bank of Ireland Mortgages, and now sits as the MD of Mortgages at Paragon Banking Group, as well as a UK finance board member. All this, and he still looks ridiculously young, <laughs> I'm sure his story will be of interest to you. This is the Pathfinder podcast. May the path you take be the right one for you. Richard, welcome. Thank you, Monty. Thank you for the Welcome to my... Uh, to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to have you here. I remarked, it's a bit like uh, you coming into sort of the headmaster's study. <laughs> it feels a little bit And like just that, sitting yeah. there. But very don't worry, you can relax. Good, good setup. I'm relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> good. You look very relaxed. That's what we try on this podcast. Um, so first off, a new year. Yep. How are you feeling about it? How, how are you generally going into this this new year, 23? Yeah, well, I think new year's always a time for reflection. I think going into this year, the market's in quite a tricky place. So yeah. having to sort of really understand where people are on that what this what challenges this year might bring to them what there's a lot of uncertainty but I think we've been used to that the last few years mm. uh, what, one of the things that's quite nice is our financial year actually at Paragon is the end of September so we've got one quarter under our belt that so right not, not quite right. everything goes back to zero yeah which, um, I think that's part of the psychological battle for everybody that's that why we're... you're looking so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, I, I think that that's always helpful but yeah. um yeah looking forward to spring around the corner hopefully as well these the, a bit more lighter evenings and getting out and doing <laughs> things. you're already looking forward to spring. yeah absolutely. ever the optimist you know yeah good yeah. <laughs> so what um what's a typical sort of day look like when you're not doing podcasts and stuff for you now then yeah so in I, your I, role I tend to split my time. I've got a nice mix, actually, because I, I, I can't believe it's three years since I've been at Paragon. That's, yeah. that's just that's just passed uh, very, very recently. So joining them um, early part of the pandemic, really, the onset of that. So in, in January 2020, we obviously got locked down in March 2020. So sort of th- those two years have merged into one, really, for many people. Yeah. But what that did was 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 um, sort of change a lot of the ways people work. And, and I've gone always from being... I'll be typically the 
four shirts hanging up in the back of the car, even Monday morning type of... <laughs> oh, right. Uh, doing that for decades, really. And yeah. Even early part of my career, we relocated, I think, four times in five years. Oh, wow. Because, and I think the world's changed from then now. You don't yeah. quite have to go necessarily where the roles are, but I was very driven for every opportunity and you'd do that. You'd move all over yeah. the country. But but typically wherever I'd be during the week, um, I'd be away from home. So... It, We've got a route set back down again now in Chumps with Essex. So that's right, okay. the kids are there settled, etc. So yeah. um, the, the, what the pandemic's done is allow a bit more flexibility, really, for me in terms of how that works. But we've got the H, HQ is in Solihull. So I spent yeah. a couple of days up in the, in the Midlands, uh, a couple of days in London and maybe a day at, at home. So there's no set pattern to that. It depends yeah. on board meetings and, and other commitments. But it's, it, you get that nice in-city versus... Um, out around the rest of the country yeah. so not, not the whole world rolls around london so mm. yeah it's it's a nice balance so you essex originally yeah so uh, born uh, south end on sea um, oh, south end yeah, yeah. So, so south end lad yeah. um uh, and uh, parents still there so, right okay um, and I think when we, we relocated, the furthest we got was Bromsgrove. So then <laughs> coming back down again, that's about as, as northern as I got. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, but um, f- first flat I bought but was in Leon Sea. Right, okay. Um, and yeah, I'd say other than moving away to, to the Midlands for a period of time, we've, we've always been Essex-based. Yeah. That's where I spent my Christmas, Leon C. Oh, my is it? parents. Yeah, there. very nice part of the world. Yeah, it's lovely down there. I wish I'd have bought there about sort of like... Seven, eight years ago. Yeah, well, like the first flight I bought there, I bought for yeah. 42 grand. So <sighs> I had no idea what that would be worth today. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. A lot more. Um, so, as you know, really interested in your journey and uh, how you've got to where you are. So I want to start with your early life. Okay. And uh, and family background. And, and sort of what, what did that look like? What sort of the early lessons you you learned growing up in, uh, in South End? Okay, well, it's um, my mother's German, uh, right? So okay. um, she she came here um, after that. The, the family split up during the war, so the, the, right the war went up. Uh, some were in Poland, some were in East Germany, some were in West Germany. We got, but she got separated from oh, wow um, her uh, parents, yeah, and um, had quite a tough upbringing, uh, and, and ended up coming to this country with not very much, or yeah, and. And really made a living for herself here. Um, met my dad, who, who is English. Yeah. But we spent a lot of time growing up in, in Germany, so a lot right, of school holidays okay. and all the rest of it. So, um, so you fluent German as well? No, no, I wouldn't say fluent. I would say uh, <laughs> pe- pigeon Ambition. German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> the ambition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but my mum would try and... Uh, raised me in German as well. Right. Bit, okay. And I wish, I wish I'd have paid more attention, actually. Yeah. So I'd done it to A-level standard. And yeah. if I was over there and spent a bit of time there, I'd probably be okay. But yeah. certainly as a youngster, what it did do is, is, is uh, you got used to being bored um, pr- pretty easily and, and making your own entertainment, which yeah. um, you know, certainly my kids struggle with nowadays. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, tell me that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, yeah, you would, you would um, have to make your own... Uh, entertainment because yeah. you couldn't understand half the conversation going on but um but yeah we, we lived in the south end very um, humble beginnings hard-working family mm. uh, working class background mum's a hairdresser uh, dad when i was very young on on the my birth certificate says builder's ganger which i guess is a labor at that right, time okay but um uh, so we and we grew up in a, uh, a council state typical 70s yeah. council state so not high rise it was um it was new build at that, that, that yeah. time quite a community feel Um, quite an aspirational sort of feel as well there as well some people wanted to do better for themselves Um, and you know experience that later on because we saw the whole change in how 
right to buy change things and everything else when mm. you, your views are on that. But um, certainly my parents benefited from that. Mm. But before that, yeah, comprehensive um, background in terms of schooling. Uh, nobody in my uh, family had ever gone to university. I was the first person in my, my family to get a degree. Didn't go to university, but got it later on in life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, pretty humble beginnings, but hardworking, loving family, I guess, is, is what I'd say, Monty. And what were you? Uh, what was what was school life like? Paint a picture of okay. little Richard. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, I've always been uh, energetic, enthusiastic, yeah. um, talk a lot, uh, and that helps sometimes. But also got me in a fair bit of trouble as well. <laughs> um, but but the, when I, when I first went to uh, senior school, there was quite a lot of, of my friends from my junior school that had gone along as well. Um, and it was pretty tough school, so it's nice to have some friends and some recognised faces. Mm. Certainly those early years, all boys school uh, in the 80s, um, quite challenging. And you had to have your wits about you yeah. uh, in terms of making sure you kept yourself out of trouble, which wasn't always the case. Yeah. Um, it got a bit easier in later life when, uh, sorry, later on in schooling, when we merged with the girls' school, they sold the girls' school. For housing, actually, interestingly enough, and that right. gave the money okay. for the, for the school to reinvest and, and improve. Um, and it was, yeah, it was there was a, there was a couple of teachers at school that that got me really in terms of I'm not really a sort of chalk and talk mm. sort of person. That's not really how I learn. I, I like to be active, involved, try things, mm. um, and that's not necessarily how the curriculum works. So yeah, um, certainly back then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, you know, the world's moved on from from, from yeah. then. But um, so I'd get bored pretty easily um, and yeah. that, that could lead to a bit of disruption so I spent a fair amount of time probably standing outside the there, yeah that's too. it I, I, I always like to, to <laughs> have a bit of a laugh and, yeah. and, and, and you know if it's engrossed in something and one thing I've, I've really learned about myself through life is if I'm going to do something I throw myself at it yeah. 100% um, yeah that yeah. definitely comes across from I'm all or nothing yeah. so it's and, and, and try a lot of stuff um, you're clearly not good at everything not good at most things but um, I, I don't tend to dabble I, I really sort of Double down on, mm. on, on where play to my strengths really, and, yeah. and and you don't know what you're good at when you when you when you're going through schooling really. So it's good yeah. to to be open minded. Um, but when, yeah, when you do find things that interest you, I think that's where yeah, when I am engaged, I'm 100. percent So were you one of the cool kids or sporty or or were uh, you sort of a bit of an outsider would, or? Yeah, I would say that the you wouldn't want to be one of the cool kids in in the school I went right, to because okay. yeah, that's um, I'm not sure whether they ended up in jail, dead or you know it, it, yeah. it, it was yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, it was um, I was that sort of that subgroup I would say underneath, which is I was yeah. quite comfortable in there. Certainly not in yeah. the the sort of really studious academic, um, but also not in that sort of cool kids bunch. I'd say yeah. that that middle ground. So enough to keep you out of trouble, but enough to stop you getting bullied and yeah, yeah, well, that, yeah. It's, it's certainly um, you, you had to think on your feet, and I think yeah, one of the things I, l I learned early on actually is, um, and you learn this through through the hard way and, and through making mistakes is quite a good read of people uh, and yeah. I think that's from needing to be able to do that mm. um, so yeah street smart I think you might you yeah might call street it. smart yeah um, and what so uh, sort of your school age or, or maybe just leaving what, what did you where did you did you have aspirations to be anything what what did you always think you what was your perfect job at that time yeah where did you want to go on well, and be? It was um, what what I what I did see and witness is is how my dad transformed his life and, and how he got lucky break, and so going from very manual jobs, he um, had a, a, a sort of really lucky position which he, he grabbed with both hands and 
managed to blag himself um, a couple of months short-term contract uh, for a bit of project work at Reuters. Right, um, okay. And that was when I was probably just coming into senior school. Um, yeah. And he turned that opportunity where someone opened the door for him. You know, I'm sure he blagged his way in a little bit, but um, and, and you probably wouldn't get that opportunity today yeah. in, this, in this job market, but, but he made the most of it. And, and it is a real aspiration for me to see how he took that and then created a whole career in, 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 the, really in the CTL. So, you know, just worked his way up and, and, and um, you know, very hard working. He'd always be up and out of the house before we was, yeah. we was up. And, yeah. you know, it, it, um, and, and how he carved out that opportunity from nothing, that, that, that really resonated with me. Mm. So what, what, what that showed me is hard work um, really gives you all that opportunity. Um, but it was more difficult in those days, I think, to get through the door. Not that we, we practice it today, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to talk a little bit about mm. that. But that, that work ethic and drive uh, certainly came from both my parents, actually. My, my mum was, um, well, you think it's with Germans, you know, they don't really have a filter. They're very, <laughs> yeah, they say it as it is. And, yeah. she was, and my mum was uh, I, I mean, a very strong character in the local community. You know, she was yeah. the local Ave, uh, Avon lady and done the catalogue. Oh, and, and nobody dared not pay their payments <laughs> Friday for the catalogue and the rest of it. So, um, you know, and, and a, a nice feel from that perspective. Yeah. So you said you were you were the first person to get a degree mm -hmm. in your family, but you didn't go to university. Yeah. So how did how did yeah, that so, work? Yeah. So, so coming back to what did I want to do career-wise? Well, I know I wanted to I, that opened my eyes to opportunities, but yeah. when I, I I didn't know what I wanted to do um, at the end of the, the, the normal school year, but but I stayed on for a, to do my A levels, um, and that was really really good decision because I think where that changed for me then is you started to spend time with people that wanted to be at school because they wanted to learn. Um, and and that those two years, um, an immense amount of growth, and, and learned a lot about myself, mm. and learned a huge amount, and really started to enjoy learning at a different level with, you know, teachers that are genuinely interested. And the fact they actually started to teach you like, teach you like a bit more like an adult uh, rather than a kid. Um, so those two years put even more drive into me. Mm. But coming out of that, I knew I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to get out there working. I've, I've worked since I've, I've been 12, 13, cleaning the beaches, washing cars, working in the supermarket after school, all of those things. Because there's anything I wanted myself, the luxuries, uh, we just couldn't afford necessarily to do that. Yeah. So I'd go out and earn the money myself to do that. Um, so um, what I did know what I wanted to do is, is get out and earn some money. Um, but this was right at the beginning of the recession in the 90s. And I did want to work in the city, didn't know what I wanted to do. A few of my friends were working as traders and I could see what they were doing. And at that time, didn't particularly appeal for me, even though they were earning a lot of money, just answering the phone all day as it was yeah. on those desks. wasn't yeah. really yeah. For, for me, but um, applied all over the place. And you got, you know, that in the, there was, there's no LinkedIn, there's no job adverts no. in terms of, and I had no network, you know, clearly in terms of where to go with that. So. I wrote hundreds of letters to every single firm in the city, just got the index list of, of companies, yeah. tried to look up anybody that was head of HR or a role and, and just wrote, hand wrote those letters to hundreds of companies. And yeah, that's, um, that was character building in terms of not hearing back or just yeah. no thank you. Um, and the, 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 the first opportunity I did get was with Halifax. Um, and they offered me a job, entry-level role, as a cashier in Rayleigh branch in Essex. Right, okay. So th that's where I started. And at that time, I probably thought, okay, this would be good. Get, get, get me in and get me learning before I go up to the city and work up there. Um, and stayed there 15 years and loved it. You know, a fantastic organisation, brilliant training ground. And they supported me, spotted me early on in terms of raw talent. Yeah. And at that time, 
they had a uh, development program, which we, we don't see enough of now. You know, they sort of accelerated development programs where they actually took you out of your job with a sponsor and you went around and worked in different parts of the bank uh, with a view to getting your first management position after yeah, you completed it. That's a great it. idea. So a, a lot of lenders not doing that anymore? A lot of banks, do no, they have something it's, similar? Or it's, it's all focused towards graduate programmes, if I'm honest, management right, trainee okay. programmes. And there are, it's coming back a little bit yeah. in terms of uh, apprenticeships and some, some in-house development or team leadership programmes, uh, leadership identifying talent, but it's not structured as it was, where they had yeah. big programmes that were heavily supported, where it was over and above um, the, the the FTE to do a job. It was your job was actually to learn for two years, yeah. which... And, and it was brilliant. You know, you got exposure to really senior people. You'd have quarterly meetings up at the regional office and, you know, going into there for the first time when you'd just been used to working in a little branch. And you'd have senior people come in and talk to you about their experience, yeah. tell their story. Um, so powerful. And, and much of that stays with me today. I, I love people that tell their story and can articulate things that really get you yeah. thinking. Um, and, and they sponsored me for the for the banking exams, uh, which led on then to the degree. So right, okay, eight years of studying. When, yeah. So it'd be a case of do your day job, get home, uh, and then weekends either open university or or back up into London Business School a couple mm. of times a week uh, to then take that on to do my financial services degree. Mm. So do you find that? And I've, I've not talking for you, but I reckon this was the case. Actually, doing all those Saturday jobs and all the other different jobs growing up that gave you certainly when you're a cashier in the Rayleigh branch, it taught you how to deal with people. And do you think that gave you an advantage? Because I've always thought, you know, I went to Poly, I'm proud to say Poly, not University. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, we just felt that we could talk to people more. I worked in pubs and worked my way in, in, all through school, college as, as well. And that really helped me in terms of just dealing with people. Whereas I felt that sometimes some others were very, uh, they never really had that opportunity and it took them longer to actually learn in a job, even though they might have been higher educated, yeah. they actually deal with people. I could not agree with you more. Honestly, I think it makes such a difference. And it's something we're missing today. The demise yeah. of the Saturday job, I think, is a is a real shame. You know, that yeah. type of thing. I'm threatening my kids with <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's for the reason of that sort of the skills you learn, yeah, exactly. just in terms of being being still young and, and so impressionable and learning all about the world around you. To be around adults and understand how that all works. And, and you know, you make loads of mistakes, but you're young enough for people yeah, just to exactly. sort of what works, what doesn't. And so for yeah. the backdrop of, as I say, I think necessity of having to um, read people and understand what situation you're in, then applied into a workplace where you're spending time with people that um, are older and been there. And um, yeah, I, I think this, it, it's a shame. And I think I'd like to see more of that. Yeah. So are you forcing your kids to... Well, they're a bit young at the moment. So my, da my daughter's uh, not quite a teenager yet. She's, she's 13 in, yeah. in uh, May. And my son's just turning it's old seven enough next for a paper round. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they still have paper rounds. I'm not sure. Well, I, I don't know. That's, I can't really deliver electronic. <laughs> no, uh, I know. No. I know. No, I don't know if they do actually. But I'm sure they must do somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting, and that whole and and you know your experience of applying for jobs. I remember doing it similarly when I was writing to hundreds of media companies and ad agencies and newspapers because that's. What surprise, surprise, what I wanted to do before I fell into mortgages. And yeah, it's, it's quite soul destroying, isn't it, at the time? And, and because you don't have that network yeah. around you. 
Yeah, I, I think it is, but I, would, but I also think it instills a bit of grit and determination if mm. you're that way inclined. And, and certainly that sort of uh, rejection, it sets you up well for life, you know, in terms of yeah. life's tough, right? You know, in terms of you're going to get a lot of knockbacks, you're going to get a yeah. lot of no's. And that, that, that was good training for me, I think, in terms of it didn't feel like it at the time, most definitely mm. not. But um, I've always felt like I've had to work twice as hard as some other people just just to get to the same place and you know that's is it fair is it right no but it's maybe who i am today you know that mm. i've got a, a relentless drive and an enormous energy um and no matter what that knocks me down dust myself down mm. get back up again um and i think that comes from re very early rejection and just being told no regularly yeah so the halifax's accelerated development program is really interesting um, and where did you end up at the at the end of that what was the yeah, so um, after that two-year program, um, I got a um, sales team manager job at uh, Chelmsford branch. Yeah. And uh, at that age, still early 20s at that, at that age, I think I was running a team of 15 people. Youngest person in the team was about 34 up to mid-50s. Mm. And you haven't got a clue, really. You know, this, this lad turns <laughs> I up. I still haven't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you think, well, yeah, why don't people just do what you ask them to do? I don't really get this. This is the way. And you know, not realising you're the, this kid that's rocked up, that still yeah. lives at home with their parents, doesn't know anything, wet behind the ears, been on, <laughs> now, oh, here he comes, off of course. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of that. But again, yeah. I think that's probably the longest I've ever stayed in a job. It was because there was so much learning. And, and you, you get lots of things right. And sorry, lots of things wrong. You get hopefully lots of things right as well, but the, you learn by those mistakes, but the importance of having a decent sponsor or someone that looks out for you in those early days, I think is massively important because yeah. you are going to make mistakes, you know, not career limiting ones, but ones that are silly mistakes that you need somebody to give you a bit of air cover, but also give it support, but also keep you on the straight and narrow. Mm. Um, and, and I had the, at that, at that time, the, uh, the blessing of working for some absolutely brilliant bosses that done that really well you know in terms of um almost almost like um well it, it's a bit like we see today mentoring sponsorship all of that in one it was it was a really supportive people focused yeah. business i'm not i'm sure you know it hasn't changed that that too much today but halifax is well known for that how it yeah. treats its people yeah that's interesting because i've always thought about the uh the the corporate side of things it's it's a world that's very different from the world I've known, I've never been, I'm not sure I'd be good in a, I don't do authority very well <laughs> in a corporate world. But um, did, did you, you said that you felt that you had to try harder than others sometimes, but you had, um, you had sponsor to, who, who looked out for you. Did you, did you ever really feel like an outsider at, at any time within that? Um, I think it's a case of, well, the first time I sort of realised some of these challenges from the other side, actually, is when I get in on this development programme. All of a sudden, mm. you're one of the team, one, one of the lads within the group, and all of a sudden, you've been singled out as somebody that's going to be fast-tracked to manage yeah. and And you walk into the staff room and people would stop having the conversation when they used to involve you and all the rest of it. And that yeah. it taught you about stepping up within your own team, which is quite difficult to do. Yeah. I, I don't think you're conscious of these things when, you, when, you, when you're so young and so early on in your career, yeah. but it's just, it's happened to you at that time. And it's not till you look back on it with hindsight and, you know, learn a lot more that you, you sort of, I, well, I certainly do. I've got, I have a constant running voice and an internal coach and it's helpful sometimes or it's not yeah. so helpful most of the time. Um, but you reflect back on that and um, it did make me work harder. There's no doubt about that. Um, and, wh and whether you feel that's fair or not, well, it's certainly instilled in me that you, you 
whatever you do, if you're lucky or not, or you've come from a privileged background, or you've got sponsors or network, whatever it is, it doesn't it still doesn't get away from hard work if you're really going to be yeah. successful. Um, so, yeah, there, there was an element of, um, and everybody gets this in terms of impo imposter syndrome that people talk about. And yeah. one thing I do see realize, my next question. Oh right, okay, <laughs> there we go. We led, led on nicely to that. And and, and what I, what I do realize now is that everybody has it. Just some people are better at hiding it than others. Yeah. And you don't realize that at the time. You think I'm the only person that feels like yeah. this, and you know, you don't really externalize that. And and that the, the the thing that was good at early part of retail banking as well was there wasn't that dominant culture you felt like you had to conform to. But equally, at the same time, and quite naively at that, I used to sort of play up to that caricature as a sort of Essex lad. And, you know, I used to get a bit of banter taken from, you know, here comes the Barra boy sort of thing. And <laughs> and, and you don't really realise at that point that uh, you, you play along or play up to that caricature yeah. Yeah. because it all felt sort of reasonably uh, well-intentioned. But, but that's going to be limiting at, at some point and mm -hmm. how you have to... Uh, change that uh, in terms of because you can say well that's your authentic self and you shouldn't have to well actually you're working in a corporate still going to have its limits and I think even today or even more so today people are aware of that and how you say well how can I be my authentic self but still have to conform to this dominant culture and where's the yeah. middle ground and yeah. that's the bit of I think where people people struggle yeah I found that very interesting that whole there, there are a couple of things there one one is you mentioned the internal voice and a constant narrative i think you said mm -hmm. is that um for the main part do you find that positive or do you find that that like the gremlins in your head being being negative and you have to work to turn that positive i i don't know if it's just me but i i feel like it's wired to the negative as its default mode yeah, and, uh, it's and not that, just you. That's why I'm asking. Okay, <laughs> I'm feeling a bit reassured. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's yeah. and, and again, I'm fascinated about that. Yeah, in terms of, um, I, I'm I'm curious to learn or, or always to try and mm. improve myself and, and and help improve others to reach their potential. And th this is one thing I come back to. That that running voice, I think, is there hardwired to protect you. So it's risk adverse. It's negative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it you you do have to work hard to change that. And, and yeah. you know, and I find myself falling into it. And knowing this, I still allow it to happen. We still have those bad days, bad weeks, yeah. periods where we're feeling flat about things. And um, but um, you, you can train that to to be yeah. uh, more optimistic. And again, from a lot of the feedback I get now is that, and, and interestingly, one part of feedback I really struggled with early in my career or mid career, I would say, is that people said I was too positive and too optimistic, and I wasn't That's quite sure what to do with that. That's really interesting. So either they're a bit jealous that you're that you're like that, or they or that or they just don't think you're being realistic at all. Yeah, I, I really, I, I genuinely. That's really interesting, oh, and it stayed with me because yeah. to this day, uh, you know, it's a long time ago getting that feedback because yeah. I didn't quite normally, and 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 feedback in general. People always say, yeah, hit me square between the eyes. I'm up for feedback. Yeah. People don't like criticism, let's be honest. No. You know, we might say we do, um, but but getting that sort of feedback without any context around it to do something with is, is quite difficult. Mm. But um, I, And I think there's a difference between being... Because I tried to turn it down for a while and, and I really struggled with it because it was it, it's, it's every fibre of my being is around yeah. I'm optimistic, but not, not unrealistically optimistic. I, I get it in terms of... You know, that's just not blind optimism. But I'm, by very nature, will always see the good in people, I yeah. find the good in the situation, yeah. uh, the, the opportunities in any crisis. You know, I think that's, 
a strength in terms of if you can have that certainly in terms of your own mental health um, I think it's important to do that yeah and and so what have you developed as your own coping mechanisms in terms of when you do have those those doubts and those bad days yeah I, I, again I, I I talk about this quite a lot in terms of people people talk about balance in their life but but generally talk about work-life balance so you've got all the commitments you've got as home and mm. you, you know to, as, as a dad and everything else uh, and also your professional commitments but the bit that often gets lost in that is that 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 me part um and and, and of course you're going to spend more time sometimes with family or sometimes at work yeah. but often when things get squeezed that 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 me time gets lost um so trying to consciously carve out something which is of interest where I can spend time um, and, and whether that's now getting on a older a bit now but that's that for me now it's more around gardening and stuff like that yeah. where, or anything that um, you know sort of takes me away from the emails or the you know the yeah. kids or whatever it might be just to sort of get my head around that and as I say I do have this constant non-stop running voice mm. which in being on your own and collecting your thoughts sometimes helps you just step back and see things yeah. uh, are not quite as, as bad as you expect you know, it's, it's like I've, I've certainly experienced in life. Nothing's ever as bad as you think it's going to be in terms of how you build it up in your head. Yeah. But it's also never as good. Yeah. Um, and, and I think setting clear That's goals, having those objectives, but also ticking off those goals or hitting that target, there's always an anticlimax for me. Mm. You know, and that's where that sort of, well, what's next? You know, again, I'm not sure if that's common or not. But, yeah, that's certainly one thing I try and, try and remind yeah. myself. I think that's very common. From from people I've spoken to, I know my voice is incessant <laughs> most of the time. I can't hear myself thinking. And is that positive? Yeah. Just the voices in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I should be admitting that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's really interesting. So Halifax then, mm -hmm. and then it was Santander, Bank of Ireland. Uh, no, it was before that. It was uh, so. So I so fourteen years of Halifax. I yeah. should say I loved. Uh, rather than 14 and a half or 15 as it was because yeah. uh, and again I know you probably ask about the the, be the best bit of advice you've got so I may be skipping to the bit later <laughs> podcast here. Yeah. but um, I, I, I got promoted pretty quickly based on results that I'd driven mm. um, and and always thought well my work will all speak for itself you'll get based pr promoted on merit and all the rest of it and that's true to a point um, but a couple of things happened firstly I think um, certainly in a sales role when you're delivering big numbers um you become too important to take out of that role. I think yeah. I've seen that in, an, in, in myself and yeah. in a number of people. And I've been conscious of making sure that I, I don't do that for others in terms of blocking them because they, you know, they're so great at what they do. Mm. But, but, but getting promoted very, very quickly, every year, two years, getting promoted, bigger roles. Um, and, and until I applied for a, a more strategic role, a more P&L focused role, a head office based role, and realized actually that this is, this is where all of that sort of um, corporate memory and views and, and and the things that it's almost the peek behind the curtain in terms of how corporate world really works and it's not just going to be based on what you deliver it's going to speak for itself and, and get what mm. you want and and there was an I think an element of certainly how I, how I see it now is how I felt was yeah he, he's good at sales he's okay for that but you, you wouldn't really trust him in a, in a head office role or, or a P&L role or more strategic role and it was right at that time wasn't wasn't ready but how do you get that experience yeah exactly i think that's part yeah. of the challenge um and i had some feedback some brilliant feedback that uh, didn't feel like it at the time it was it was horrible but um to say you need to reinvent yourself and 
how do you do that yeah. when, when you've worked somewhere as um, from a from a young lad really in terms of everybody has ever known you as that yeah um, and the, the, the toughest decision decision I've had to come to is that I was going to have to leave and, and that was a really difficult mm. decision to do that um, but I wouldn't be here now if I if I hadn't yeah. done um, and, and that and 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 I'm really positive and I've, I've actually thanked the person that gave me that feedback to say. You know, that, that gave me the rocket to say, come on, no, you, you need to go and do something different. Yeah. Um, and, and I got the opportunity to go and work for Cheltenham and Gloucester out of their Barnwood offices, working in the back office. And at that time, we were supporting Lloyd's branches with Cheltenham and Gloucester mortgages. Um, so it's more of a back office function, out the sales role, and just developed a different level of skills and working in a head office environment for the first time. Mm. Again, wouldn't be here today if I hadn't had those lessons. So, um, yeah, so it was it was Cheltenham Gloucester, but as part of the Lloyds Banking mm. Group at that point. So has that been something you've uh, consciously done with each move to where you are now is to, do you know what, I need to I need to push myself forward and, and, and challenge myself at every stage. I, I, yeah, I think there's um, there's there's a there's, there's there's a few bits in there to unpack actually in terms of th this. I, I I very much have a growth mindset where I'm yeah. a sort of curiosity and wanting yeah. to learn and, and and that life lifelong learning. Um, if I get to a stage where if you're looking for somebody that's going to do a great caretaking job, look after things, keep things ticking over, that's that's not really me. I, yeah. I much prefer building something out from scratch, um, turning something around that's underperforming. Um, but but once it's actually done, um, it, it's yeah mm. not necessarily lose interest, but it doesn't challenge me as enough. And, and and I think it's this sort of expert versus beginner as well as a sort of mindset in terms of there's a there's a real energy around learning something from the first time, and it's a bit like challenging yourself just to be out your depth enough. Yeah. So not so you you know miles out of sea, but equally yeah. your toes are just off the sand, you know, and you you having to you can get back to where you need to be, but you're at, you're just slightly. Uh, out of your depth and that's I think that's that's the perfect learning and and I think what that does for me um, is it takes you almost back to that beginner or amateur curiosity and, and need to learn mm -hmm. um, and then if it's something I'm interested in I absolutely want to know everything about it until I'm a, a complete expert yeah and, and that's you know that I'll jump it forward a bit now but even in my current role I've been in the mortgage industry a long time um, and, and there's a couple of key points to jump in from retail banking well, we haven't got to Centen there yet, but that was that was running up to twelve hundred branch-based advisors. You know, back yeah. in those days, we'll, we'll talk about that a little yeah. bit. So, I hadn't really dealt with the broker market up until um, the move after Centen there. But that was all new in terms yeah. of learning and meeting new yeah. people and and that side. But even with Paragon, I hadn't worked in the very specialist end of the market. And three years on now, I have put so much energy and effort into becoming an absolute expert yeah. in that space. You know, I, I love it. I think that's really apparent. I remember the first time I met you, actually, and I remember sitting and someone said to me, oh, you're going to sit next to the new boss. I think it was, it must have been Bank of Ireland, actually, maybe. It might have been Santander, I'm not sure. But yeah, and I, I get very nervous. I'm like, God, there's someone else who's going to find out I actually don't know anything. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed you. You were very, you, you asked, that appetite for learning just shone through. That, that sort of like, the quest for I, I want knowledge. I haven't really dealt with brokers before. I want to try and understand. That was really, really interesting. So that that's definitely something that came through with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I I so you're Paragon now, mm -hmm. and I know you've been through various iterations and uh, and and the buy to let specialist spaces 
is something that's very very different yeah and interesting what's um how how do you see that that market right now i think let's take a little bit of a step back because with the in terms of if you're going to become an expert in understanding the buy to let market, you really need to understand the full uh, rental market and the social side of it, the, the, the private rental side of it, and, and, and all tenures of the housing market. And mm. be interested, you know, I've I got a thirst to say, well, I want, want to know all of this. Yeah. Um, so so I, 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 I spent five years with Estuary Housing Association as a non exec director, and part of that was to give something back. Um, to where I grew up in South End, where there's a lot of deprivation yeah. and, and, and challenge for, for, for housing people there. That gave me an insight to that tenure. Um, so that, that that was helpful in terms of coming into the private rental sector side of it. But um, what I learned very quickly is if you talk about landlords, people glaze over. Um, <laughs> and if you're a banker to landlords, they won't go away. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, a, yeah. it's not exactly exciting for people. Yeah. It, it, very much people are focused on home ownership and, and, and clearly a, a market I know incredibly well around the residential market. But I think you need to understand the wider context of all of that to be able to drive a strategy and, and deliver something that's right for, for the buy-to-let market. Mm. But what you have seen and, and, and what I'm seeing in the market and every, everybody's reporting back on now is since the mini budget, it's become incredibly challenging. If, you, if, you're, if you're a landlord that's looking to supplement your pension or you're an accidental landlord or it's a bit of a side hustle, it's becoming incredibly, incredibly difficult. Amateur landlords versus professional landlords. Um, that, that I, I expect to see that the, the sector continue to professionalise. I think that that's yeah. that's clear. Um, but what you are seeing also at the moment is nervousness around people making investments in terms of how expensive it's going to be, our house price is going to fall, um, where's the top of the market in terms of interest rates, all of those concerns at a time when lenders and distribution have built capacity in what we've seen over the last couple of years. So many people thinking, well, hang on a minute, where, where to go on this? Mm. But, but equally, what, what I would say is, um, and this comes back to the, the optimism point, is we're working out because we, we, we were staring to the abyss in March 2020. The market was shut. You know, yeah. We couldn't do anything. Yeah. And, and that, 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 that's, I think we shouldn't lose sight of that in terms of just how challenging that was. This is a different type of challenge. But we've got brilliant people in this industry, bright people, you know, motivated people that... Yeah, it's going to be bumpy, but we'll work our way through this, is, is, is my view. So, you know, I'm not one for forecasting because I think, you know, forecasts say a lot more about the forecaster, I think, rather than, you know, the actual outcome. Yeah, I know. Um, so, yeah, but, but, but I think it's, yeah, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be another yeah. another tough year. So you mentioned just previously about getting into housing and wanting to do something to help your local community. Mm -hmm. um, is that where, and we're obviously we're all passionate about equality, equity, inclusivity. An important part of that is to ensure how we deal with the issues facing, you know, the new breed of people coming into into our industry, financial services, whether that's young women, ethnic backgrounds, etc. And you're involved particularly with people coming up from, from various socioeconomic backgrounds mm -hmm. who may feel that it's a bit stacked against them, it's a bit difficult, they don't have as you said before, they don't have that uh, network of people to get into and they, they might find it difficult or, or even look at the financial services industry and think, nah, that's not for me. Yeah. They won't accept someone like me. And I think I, I heard one of your stats, actually, where it said that 89% of the most senior roles in FS are held by those from higher socioeconomic backgrounds 
and UK CEOs generally 52%, and those from lower socioeconomic backgrounds progress at 25% slower than their peers. Yeah. So I guess that's how you got involved in your passion around that into progress together. Mm-hmm. And do you want to talk a bit about, about that and, yeah. and how did you get involved with that? Yeah, it, well, the, the, the stats you've just given are, are absolutely the mm. business case to say, well, this can't be right in terms of if you look at the uh, the opportunity and the pay gap in financial services, it's the biggest across any sector in the UK. Um, and it's it's not just the, the right thing to do in terms of opening up the opportunity for, for more people in their communities, but it's the smart thing to do mm. you know, in terms of uh, avoiding groupthink. Um, you, you might get a lot of boards and executive committees that look very, very different, but have they all got that same sort of background, yeah, yeah. all been to the same type of universities and schools and yeah. got the same network? Which is a challenge against the uh, uh, Conservative Party, isn't it? They, they're good in terms of the way that they look very different, but actually they've, they've all had the same education and upbringing. Where's, yeah. where's the diversity of thought? Yeah, exactly that. Uh, I think that, and that, that, um, that diversity of thought, it, it depends on, um, y- and you need to get buy-in at the top. And, and I would say um, for the, 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 the Paragon has been absolutely brilliant for this. You know, culturally, Paragon's a wonderful place to work. Yeah. But the buy-in right at the top in terms of um, not just uh, around recruitment and attraction, because I think um, the mortgage industry has done brilliant on that in the last you know, decade. You, you, you will have noticed the difference mm. in terms of yeah, how you see different. people across our industry. But it's not about that. It's not about the, the, the attraction of, of entry-level roles and bringing more people to industry. It's about who progresses, who gets on, and how mm. they get on. Um, and what you find is um, those that, and you've said in their progression, 25% slower than your peers, irrespective of performance, if you come from a non-professional background. Now, that That's just can't crazy, be right. Isn't it? That no. just can't be right. Um, and, and Well, it's not right. We know it's yeah. not right. Um, so what, what can you do about that? You can either sit there and admire the problem, or you can say, no, I want to get involved. So um, I was an advisory board member for two years for the, for the Government Task Force, City of London Corporation mm. Task Force. Um, that has uh, just completed. So November, that run its two years, and has now moved into the permanent um, membership body, which is which is Progress Together. And the difference about this in terms of, well, firstly, I don't think social mobility and, and progression is really that well understood. Um, and I think there's a danger of, oh, is that just another box we need to tick? So tick and, you know, okay, around the table where you, in terms of, well, okay, this person's the black one, this person's the gay one, this person's the poor one. That's yeah. not what we need. That's yeah. you know, this nonsense no, in terms of yeah. tick box approach. Um, but, but, but there hasn't been that sort of awakening moment in terms of what you have seen in terms of global movements such as Black Lives Matter and Me Too, which has really driven a, a global movement around getting behind some of this. Social mobility in your background, you can hide. And people spend an enormous amount of energy and time hiding their background, conforming to a dominant culture, mm. um, and just think what we could do if they didn't have to do that and could spend that time and energy in their jobs and their mm. careers. So, you know, th- this piece around progression is... I think there is an element of my experience that you can work hard um, and get on to a certain point, but I think there's almost like a permafrost uh, and of, of j- junior or middle managers that get stuck. Mm. Um, and, and, and some settle, some get d- disenfranchised, um, but, but there's a huge opportunity to move those junior and middle managers to, to senior management because they, 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 they got so much more to give. And I think that's where the real opportunity comes, which is why, why I'm, I'm so keen to be involved. And, and at Paragon, we're a founder member of, um, of Progress Together to, to make this a reality. Mm. 
So I, I find that whole debate really interesting because for me, as I say, non-corporate, small company, I've always seen people from like yourself who've maybe come up from a different background, they're actually the ones with drive. They're the ones who get on with people. They're actually the ones you want to progress <laughs> quicker than people who have had it maybe a bit easier. Yeah. So that whole concept is a little, it's a bit alien to me, but it, it's it's really stark, yeah. those stats. I, I think that, and that comes back to that grit and determination, which I think is instilled from a, an early age. And it's one yeah. of the things I, I, I battle with now because my kids are privileged. And, and how do I yeah, how do I make thing, sure, yeah. one, I, I think I do a good job in keeping them grounded, mm. but to, to get that drive and determination and grit, you know, it, it's going to take it's going to take work in, t- in terms of being able to do that. I'm not sure you can manufacture that either. It's that's from experience. Yeah. So how can business leaders and companies and either get involved in in this or how can they how can they help? How can they make a difference in their own companies? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the, the the first thing to do is um, a lot of the heavy lifting has already been done. So to join in progress together as a, as a member gives you access to all that good work that firms have done. Mm. So wherever you are as a firm on your journey on this, don't struggle to, from scratch. That, that there's an absolute repository of stuff here where, where people have done things that have, that have worked and you can just pick up and, and get on with. But um, you need buying from the top as well. And I think it's important that... Um, this is not seen as an HR function. I think it's almost a case of sort of anything to do with this space can can often be driven by the centre and and, and left to HR. They're they're hugely important to support it, don't get me wrong, but I think it needs to be driven by the business. Um, And you you need a senior sponsor, which, you know, certainly I do that within my role in terms of telling your story as well, because if people don't really understand this, bringing people along... And it's not about rags to riches stories. We don't need any more of those. No. We genuinely need people, a bit like what, you, what you're doing with this podcast, Monty, is people sharing their experiences yeah. in an authentic way. You know, not, not, the, not all the glossy versions. Sometimes things haven't worked out quite so well. Um, and, and, and I think that, that drives confidence in others to think, okay, minute, well, if, if they've done that, why not me? Or relights that fire in their belly to say, maybe there is more for me. I, you know, it's, I, I yeah. certainly shared my story internally um, and got an unbelievable response, both publicly and privately. Yeah. And people that say, I'm coming to you privately because I'm not quite ready to, to sort of yeah. say this yet. But you know, you, that's really resonated me. All this part has, mm. um, how did you overcome this? What did you do? What can I learn? Where can I go? Um, and I think Progress Together does a lot of this. Um, it helps you understand where you're starting from as well, how you collect data, uh, what your plan will be. Because the bold ambition of, of Progress Together is to get 50% of senior managers from non-professional backgrounds or intermediate backgrounds by 2030. Mm. Now, that's a bold ambition. We'll reassess that at 2025 when we've got some more data. Yeah. But um, it's right to have a bold ambition. Why not? Because that's much more reflective of our, our broader communities. Um, and there's a huge amount of people with a lot to offer. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck with that. It's, it's really uh, That is really interesting. And, uh, and something that a lot of people just don't think about mm-hmm. at all. As you say, they, they talk about the standard tick boxes. Um, and it's about leaders being authentic and really believing in it from the very top, as, as you do. So generally then, just in terms of you mm-hmm. and your career, yeah. do you feel successful? What, what, does, what does success look like? look like for you because people look at you and why I love these 
doing this podcast is actually, you know, hearing people's stories is really interesting. Uh, apart from the fact it helps me <laughs> because uh, hearing other people like, you know, you look up people like yourself and think, oh, yeah, they have imposter syndrome. Too. <laughs> oh, yeah, they got voices. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. But, but, but do you have a definition of success in terms of where, where you're concerned? Or is it something you just don't think about at all? Uh, yeah, I, I do think about that, but not not actively about do I feel successful. It's quite a hard question to answer. Mm. But if, if I think about where I came from uh, and my peer group and um, and, and seeing the, how, what I have now of a lovely family, um, a, a wonderful home, a, a wide network of friends and colleagues that, that you know, that, that to me, you know, that, uh, that success, if, you, if you're talking about status success, I'm not really driven by... By, by status it's yeah. more about the, the, what this enables me to do in, in my private life because of what I do in my professional mm. life I see that but equally I'd come back to um, what continues that drive I, don't, I haven't got to that point where I think do you know what actually I can, I can put my feet up now I feel like I've made it uh, and I'm certainly comfortable from that point of yeah. view and you'd think well why, why wouldn't you do do you think you'll ever feel like that I don't think I will no I, 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 think, it's, yeah. I, I think it's in my DNA it's how I'm wired and this is that point I come back to in terms of um, almost that anticlimax of once you get to that na that next stage in terms of what next then actually it's um you know where do I go harder faster whatever it might be bigger goals more ambition but different I think what it does is it changes your perception what I'm not chasing is material uh, you know sort of things that you know I think early on you do uh, certainly yeah. from that sort of background um, working class background council estate mindset you know it's a hundred quid in your pocket by the end of the road you owe someone a tenner <laughs> you know, it's, it's um yeah yeah that feels like my life <laughs> yeah. but um yeah so 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 and also i think um i i found i found that fuel that drives me as well and there, there is a there is a fear there mm. um, and I, I think there's there's two things there's there's fear of failure um and that that certainly keeps driving me and also, I think there's still in, in, in the back of my mind, it could all go tomorrow type of thing. Mm. And this is that run, internal yeah. voice that you talk about in yeah. terms of, you know, the, uh, what if I lost all this? And, yeah. you know, a reminder of, of going back to, to where you were. I think there's, there's elements in there. But I think yeah. it, it, knowing that, what I'm able to do by coaching myself around this over years and years, you know, it's not a sort of thing that happened overnight, is use that sort of fear to push me rather than be something that, that mm. stands in front and causes causes yeah. me to stop. It helps to stop. ground you, I, I, I think guess, it does. and not get carried away. And yeah, I, exactly that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's a good way of putting it. It does help ground you, yeah. yeah. So you've already answered the best piece of advice. <laughs> Is that, is that right? Keep reinventing yourself? Well, yeah, yeah that one wasn't keep reinventing yourself. It was, you have to reinvent <laughs> you yourself. Have to reinvent you know, that's, um, and I had no, 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 no tools to do that at that yeah. time. So it was incredibly difficult uh, feedback. But, but, but all the feedback that I think was the most painful at the time has been, has been the best. And I've, mm. I've had the, uh, I've had, this is where I think people often talk about luck. I think it is luck when you find somebody that sees something in you and, and, and really pushes and develops that. And, and I've had some, and, and, and I am open to feedback. I'm, you know, I ask for it a lot. So if you ask for a lot of feedback, you're going to get a lot of stuff you don't want yeah. to hear sometimes. Yeah. But it is useful. And some of the best feedback has been most painful. Um, and, you know, whether that's been from slow down, you talk too fast, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it might be, I, don't try and be, uh, well, actually, how can I say this? You, you, you can 
change your style and approach and, and, and whatever situation you're in, play to your audience. But what you can't do is change your personality. Yeah. So if your very, very nature is you're high energy, talk fast, um, optimistic, all the rest of it, that, that's you, okay? Mm. And that's been, that's been yeah. shaped by your friends, your upbringing, your background, all of that stuff. That, that's baked in. Mm. You know, don't, don't try and struggle and change who you are because you're, you won't come across as authentic in any way. Um, but what you can do is not think, um, well, yeah, I've got it right now. I'm the expert mm. in this. Or, you know, yeah. I don't need to, I can stop learning now. I know it all. Yeah. Or I think that's this closed mindset versus open mindset. And, and, and if you just think, I'm always here for learning, if you take that yeah. approach in life, I think that's a, that's a wonderful way to be. And that's why you're on my list to do this, really. <laughs> because that authenticity is, I, I, I see, I don't have many gifts, but I do think I can see authentic people. And, and that's, they're the people I'm naturally drawn towards. And you have authenticity in spades. And that's, that's really, really important. Thank you, Monty. That's kind, yeah. So I think we're <laughs> we're coming off on an hour. Okay, well, wow. and I know there's uh, <laughs> there's there's loads and loads of other stuff we can do. Maybe we'll have to do a follow up. <laughs> yeah, well, no, like I know you've got a waiting list now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. But I've got a last question. Okay, so if you could meet anyone in history, mm -hmm. who would it be? They can be alive or dead. Who would it be, and what would you ask them? Yeah, so I, I struggled with this because I heard I heard you ask this on, <laughs> on previous podcasts as well, and but then both he and Sarah gave great answers, um, and and I think part of that because it, I think about in history because if it was someone alive today and I really wanted to meet them, I, I would make that happen somehow. You know, yeah, that's a part of that drive. Yeah. Next thing on, yeah, you know, sort yeah, yeah. Of, but but um, I, I think for me it'd be. Um, Something that I'm, I'm passionate about, and people might not know I me. Mean, I'm a massive hip hop fan, huge. Are you? Yeah. So um, late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. When, when I when I first heard um, the message, I was going to say, I yeah, bet it's a message. Late seventies, yeah. early eighties. Something lit up in my brain. Yeah. I just couldn't. I'd never. I'd never heard or seen anything like it. Yeah. And I love storytelling. I love the use of words. Yeah. So to mix that with music as well. Wow, that was it. So um, I. I, I not they say you shouldn't meet your heroes, but I, I would love to go back and talk to some of those early pioneers of, of hip hop in the early eighties, um, yeah, and really understand their experiences of what it was really like at that time. You know, it must That's have been a great absolutely answer. incredible. So I'm also seeing there's potential to have like a sort of a radio show, <laughs> <laughs> Rich Drowntree <laughs> guide to hip hop. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I love that period as well. I, I remember, yeah, being proud that I knew all the words to Rapper's Delight, the <laughs> long version. Well, it, it was something it so was, new. It was so new. Yeah, so in terms of, yeah, I, I would have been 11 when I first went up to senior school. Yeah. And, and that sort of, uh, that era when something so fresh, so, so, and, and, and you almost felt part of an exclusive club because it was so hard to even hear that music. Yeah. And there, there, was, there was one radio show, Capital Radio, Clive Allen, and, and, and it was it was Friday night and Saturday night, but it was 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock in the morning, so I wasn't allowed to stay yeah. out to record it. But my, my, my dad, and bless him, he would do this for me. I'd get the TDK 120, <laughs> and, he, and he would stick it in when he went to bed and, and set his alarm to actually record it <laughs> oh, and, then, and then flip it over for me. And, and so I'd have, have that to take to school and, and, and listen to on my Walkman. There you go. <laughs> so, were you a break dancer as well? Then? Well, I, I haven't got quite the, the, the mood. I haven't got the knees for it now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, sorry, I wasn't going to ask. No, I, I was more of a more an MC than a dancer. Right. Okay. 
There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Monty. I've really you enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. Thank really. you. I think that's been really, uh, really interesting. And there's uh, hopefully a lot, a lot of people have got something from that. And sharing your story is really important. And thank you all for listening or watching, whatever you're doing. Please do leave a review on your podcast app or on uh, on YouTube if you're watching. Thank you very much. I do have the rest of 2023 already lined up. So we have got some more fantastic guests from all walks of life. And I'm sure you'll be interested to hear their journey and the paths that they have taken and hopefully share some stories and it'll be of some inspiration to you. This is a Pathfinder podcast. May the path you take be the right one for you.